Good morning, family. I want to thank you for your continued support of our faith promise, and one, these are one of the initiatives that, that make, is possible because of your giving and many others also. So thank you for the way that you faithfully support the faith promise uh, during this time. I suppose it would be appropriate for me this morning to just congratulate all the Chelsea supporters. And moving on, speaking about the Word of the Lord, we've been busy with our series for this term, which is speaking about a body of heroes. And the idea of our series, and I I trust that you found it encouraging as I have, is to just shine the spotlight on all those, those people that made part of the story of the gospel's influence as it's recorded in the New Testament, but are the characters that we sometimes don't uh, are not so familiar with. And the reason we're doing that is to try and make the point that even in our day, the story of the gospel and its impact in our world is not about a few people, but it's many characters that come together and that all work together to build the gospel story in our time. And that's why we've entitled it a body of heroes. Uh, how many of you know that a church like ours is impact? its place in our community and what God wants it to do is not about one or two people, but it's about all of us. There's no superheroes here among us that if that one person or those, that, that small group of people, if they just do well, if they just follow Christ well, and if they just, just give it their all, then the gospel will have the impact that it's supposed to have. Will you look at your neighbor and say, you are part of the gospel story in our time. Look at them. We together are a body of heroes, amen? And it's as each of us follows the Lord Jesus, as each of us steps into our calling and the anointing that God has on our lives, it is there that the impact of the gospel is felt in any community. And that's, to me, very important because sometimes I think people, you know, they come to church and I so appreciate how many people, you know, pray for me and, and, and just want me to do well. But, but in, all, in all honesty, if I do as well as I can, it will not have the impact in our city than if we all do well in the Lord. Amen? Is that okay? I'm not trying to run away from my responsibility. I have a responsibility. I have a job to do. I have to be anointed what I have to do. But can I tell you, so do you. You have to be anointed. I have to be led by the Spirit, but so do you have to be led by the Spirit. It's a body of people that together are led by the Spirit, as the team said in, the, in, uh, you know, in their testimony, as we all sense the Spirit's presence with us every day as we go, then the gospel's impact will be felt in this nation, in our city, in our communities. And that's the beautiful story, and we've, we've had time that we've spent with, with characters like uh, Simeon and Anna, and, and we looked at the life of James, the brother of Christ, and, and today I want to go on and speak about, oh, and last week obviously we spoke about Lydia and Eunice and Timothy and that family. And today I want to carry on and, and talk about another person and uh, this person that we're going to share about today and talk about a faithful hero. And to me, he's a picture of faithfulness and I want to unpack that a little bit, is the disciple Andrew of Christ. How many people do we have in the, in the building this morning whose name is Andrew? I know of one at least that's here this morning, and I've said to Andrew, Andrew, I'm going to ask you to stand. So will all the Andrews that we have with us quickly just stand so that we can, I hope we have not just one. There's one Andrew, there's another Andrew, Is there, there's another Andrew at the back, there's one on the balcony, isn't it amazing? Give all the Andrews a really good round of applause. <laughs> they have very, very biblical names, Andrew. 
And uh, it's this disciple that we want to talk about a little this morning. He's not a character that we so often uh, talk about or read about, but he's actually quite an important person in this, that he was the first follower of Christ. Uh, In the Eastern church, they call him the parakletos, which means the first follower. He was the first guy that was called and followed Jesus as a disciple. He was obviously also probably, you know, better known because of who his brother was. His brother was Peter. And uh, the two of them were fishermen in their father's fishing company, if you can call it like that, that served and worked with their father. It is interesting, for instance, that uh, Andrew had a Greek name, not a Hebrew name. Remember uh, a while back when we spoke about James and Jesus' family and how Mary and Joseph weren't very creative in the naming of their children. They all had these stock standard Jewish names. Now, Andrew was a little bit of an anomaly, that for a Jewish family, he actually had a Greek name, which wasn't all that common. So their family had some cultural and, and, and multicultural sensitivity, at least, that they were, that, that they were doing. Um, he was first a follower of John the Baptist before he became a follower of Christ. He was one of the disciples of uh, John the Baptist, and um, he uh, had quite an impact in the world, and we'll, I'll speak a little bit more about that later, about how far he went as a follower of Christ, and shared the gospel with many people. So what I want to do this morning is just take a couple of the portions of Scripture and uh, read that about Andrew and uh, fit that into a bit of a framework that I would like to use this morning and, and say the first thing that we learn from Andrew as a person and that each of us can apply in our lives is this principle that Andrew found Jesus. Andrew found Jesus. In order for us to begin our story as a disciple of Christ, and to make our contribution within this body of heroes, the first thing you have to do is you have to find Christ. Let's read the story about how Andrew found Jesus. In John 1, verse 35 to 41, it says, And again, the next day, John stood with two of his disciples, and looking at Jesus, he walked, as he walked, he said, Behold the Lamb of God. The two, the two disciples heard him speak, and they followed Jesus. Then Jesus turned and seeing them following, said to them, what do you seek? What do you want? They said to him, Rabbi, which is to say when translated teacher, where are you staying? He said to them, come and see. They came and saw where he's staying and remained with him that day. Now it was about the 10th hour. One of the two who heard John speak and followed him was Andrew, Simon, Peter's brother. He first found his own brother, Simon, and said to him, we have found the Messiah, which is translated the Christ. We have found the Messiah. Now, I don't know about you, but finding things isn't always easy, particularly if you're a man. So I'm told by this person that lives in our house, and her words should be taken because she has five men that live with her, and we constantly can't find anything. We always have to ask her where things are. I particularly find it quite difficult to find things because I shouldn't be looking for them in the first place. Because I have this habit, generally, of putting things in the same places all the time. Amen? I don't need to spend my life looking for things because I consistently put things in the same place. How many of you feel my pain? How many of you lose your temper when you go looking for your hammer, which has its nice place where it has to be, and it's not there? And you know it wasn't you that used it last. So I've got like five hammers that I leave in different places just because other people, you know, move stuff. 
I find it very hard to find things if they're not where they're supposed to be. And I've noticed this about myself. If I go into a drawer and there's supposed to be something and it's supposed to be in this section of the drawer and I open the drawer and I'm looking, I can't find it. Then I will phone, ask Natasha and say, I'll phone Natasha. I'll ask Natasha. Say, come, I can't find this thing. Where is this thing? And, and then she comes and opens a drawer and then it's not in the front left corner where it's supposed to be, but it's in the right back corner. <laughs> she says, if, you know the Afrikaans saying, as it a snake was, as it a slung was, so you'll pick it. If it was a snake, it would have bit you. She's like, oh, exasperated. How could you not find it? But it's not where it's supposed to be. I struggle to find things that are, you know, I, it's like I'm blind to anything else. It's supposed to be here. Or when it's too busy. You know, when there's like sensory overload and you ask me to find something, I'm standing there and everything just becomes this blur. Like, you know, like Natasha used to, quickly she learned that this is a useless exercise, asked me to go with her material shopping. Because when I walk into a material store, it's just, it becomes a blur. It's just too much color, too many patterns, too many, you know, people. It's just like, <gasps> I, you know, I start feeling like I drank coffee or something. I just, it's like, I'm so uncomfortable. And then if you, if you ask me in that space to now find something or to suggest something, it's like meltdown happens for me. Any of you feel like that? Any of the husbands? I'm trying to help you this morning, you, you know, just... You're not being different. So she's such a great wife. She said to me, I won't ask you to do that again. It's like flea markets have the same effect on me. You know, when we go to a flea market, I will study the flea market before the time, work out a route to make sure that we never pass the same point twice because it's just too much for me. And if you ask me to find something in conditions like that, I'm useless. It's hard to find things. It's not so easy to find things. And even to find Jesus, seemingly, is not that easy. I, I listened to one of the Ravi Zacharias, uh, the, the Festival of Thought, not one of the other sessions that happened in Joburg, not here. And as they were debating some things, the first question that came from the floor that somebody asked, they said, they asked this question, they said, if God is real and if God loves us too much, why isn't he here? Why don't we see God among us? Why hasn't he come and shown himself and make himself known to us? Now, as a person that believes in God and reads the Bible, I, I sort of go, I know there's no dumb questions, but that really feels like borderline to me. Now, I'm sorry, that's my own fleshly response to a question like that. Because I go, Jesus came, walked the earth to show us God. The Bible was given to us. The prophets were given to us. I don't know if there's much more than God can do to show himself to us and to say, hello, here I am, you can find me. But somehow we still struggle. We still find it hard to find God. I think so often of people, how, they, how, they, how they're busy with every details and they're looking and they say, you know, where's God? If I can only just find God. And they're looking, almost afraid to look up. Because when you look up, you'll see these two big eyes staring at you, saying, hello, here I am. Not in some stalkery kind of weird way. That's the whole point. When God looks at you, his, his, his amazing love just is so compelling that you have to respond to it. And I think sometimes people just don't want to look up to be found by God or to find God because it, it makes so much of a challenge. 
in that very interview, the, the, the person that was an agnostic atheist, I, I'm not sure if he's sure what he really is, a well-known person in our country, said this when somebody asked him, is it, actually, is it actually worthwhile to have this discussion if God is real or does God really exist? He said, well, I think it is because if it's true, everything about my life and behavior has to change. And that's the truth, isn't it? If you find God, it's not like finding anything else. It changes everything when you find Jesus. It's not like you found the winning lotto number. Is somebody excited about the lotto number? Did somebody win the lotto? <laughs> Just remember to tithe. <laughs> if, I mean, if you find the winning lotto number, I know a lady recently from the Cape evidently won this 52 million rands. And uh, she, she wasn't sure if it was her number and gave it to her son. And he read and, and he said, Mom, this is your ticket. She found 52 million rands. But can I tell you, it can change your life in many ways. I think she said she can go on early retirement. But it's not a patch on what happens when you find Jesus. That really changes everything. That changes everything. And here we have this guy, Andrew. Fisherman of the day. Everybody of his time was looking for the Messiah. It wasn't like it was some weird group at the school, you know, that started like the chess club or the, you know, the flat earth society, some little group that nobody wanted to be part of. Sorry for the chess club people. I, I shouldn't have said that comment. My, one of my children were part of the chess clubs. Great. Chess clubs, wonderful. But like the flat earth society, you know, some weird little group that meets in a secret corner somewhere. This was in the time when everybody was looking for the Messiah. They were turning over every rock looking to see, can they find the Messiah? Here comes a fisherman, not a rabbi, not a priest, not a guy who studied, who knows the interpretations, that, that knows all the ins and outs, but somehow he gets it right. He finds Jesus. He finds Jesus. How did he find Jesus? There was something in his heart that must have been real and genuine in his seeking for Jesus. So, in his seeking for the Messiah, he first didn't find the Messiah, he found his predecessor. He found the guy that came to prepare the way for the Messiah, and that was John the Baptist. And he started following John the Baptist, so that at a particular day, when he was with John the Baptist, John saw Jesus walking. And he repeated what he said previously. Remember in John 1.29, we spoke about it over the Easter weekend, where John said, behold the Lamb of God who came to take away the sins of the world. Remember that? Now John says it again, just a couple of verses later, in John 1 verse 35. He says it again. He says, behold the Lamb. And he points to Jesus. Now Andrew, being in the presence of John, goes, okay, I followed John. John says, I'm not the Christ, but that guy is the Christ. So perhaps I should spend time with that guy. So John and another disciple who's not mentioned, who's not named for us, goes to and starts walking around after Jesus. At some point, Jesus stops. He's like getting that feeling. Somebody's watching me. Something's going on. And he stops. And he turns around and he sees these two guys. And he says, he asks them this great question. How many of you know Jesus asked great questions? Never because he didn't know the answer. But he was trying to reveal the heart. 
He's trying to see what's really going on in this person's heart. So he stops, and in verse 38, I think if I remember correctly, he asks them this, this great question. He says, what do you seek? What do you want? What are you looking for? What a great question. Imagine if Jesus stood before you today, and he asks you, what do you want? What do you want? Now, when I ask you that question or anybody else asks you that question, there's many different answers you can give. But you better believe when Jesus asks you that question, you have to give the right answer. That's not a question you can answer anyway and have the right heart. There's a specific way that you answer that question. So Jesus asks, what do you seek? We're all looking for stuff in life. We're all looking for something. We all want something. We all have things that we chase after, that we desire, that we pursue, that, that, that we think if I just have that, then everything else will be so much better. If I just, you know, if I, if I just can get married to the right person, or if I can just find the right job, if I can just afford the right house, if I can get the right education, if I, if I can have the right friends, or if I can, you know, whatever it is, we, we all have things that we say, this is what I want. So Jesus stops and asks them, what do you want? How did they answer the question with another question? And they said, they said this thing to Jesus, very interesting. They said, where are you staying? Jesus says, what do you want? What do you seek? Now, I think the temptation is that when somebody like Jesus, if you really believe he's Jesus, asks you that question, you, be, you, you can feel, I better have my shopping list ready. Because this is Jesus after all. I mean, he, he can do anything. He can, anything I want, he can give me probably. You know, this is like finding the lamp and rubbing the, the lamp and the genie comes out, if you think about it like that. And you think, oh, I better have my three wishes ready. Have any of you ever planned your three wishes? May all my wishes come true. How many of you, that's your first wish? Now the clever genie says, no, that's not allowed. So you, might have, you might be tempted to feel like that. I've got this moment. This, Jesus is a busy guy. He's got, he's got this moment. I better have my, my first thing that I want to have ready to ask him. I, I may never get this opportunity again. My mother is really ill. Can you just heal her? Or, or you know, whatever it is. But they respond with a question. Where are you staying? What did that response tell Jesus about them? They weren't in this to try and get something from him. They were in this to try and get him. They weren't looking for something that he could give them. They were looking to spend time with him. Isn't that a key thing to understand? If you find Jesus, that is the response he wants from you. Not, Lord, what can you do for me? Lord, what can you give me? How can you change my life? But, Lord, can I be with you? Can I be with you? Can I spend time with you? This was in the morning. And Jesus was in an area which was not his home area where he just came to to be baptized. So he didn't have a fixed home. So the question was appropriate. Where, where are you spending today? Where, where, where are you going to be so that we can be there with you? And Jesus says, come with me. What an amazing thing. Those two guys got to spend the whole day with Jesus. They didn't get... Some quick answer to a question they had or some prayer answered or something given to them or, or something changed in their lives. They got to spend a day 
with Jesus. Just hanging out. Probably had a meal together. Probably, you know, in our context, would have drank some tea together. Jesus didn't drink coffee. You know, he drinks tea like real men do. They just, just spent time talking. But it must have been a profound day. Because at the end of that day, John said, I have found the Messiah. Wow. No miracles recorded. No rising on the dead, death fearing. Just spending time with Jesus. I have found the Messiah. The first thing Andrew did well is he found Jesus. Have you found Jesus? Have you found him? Because if you found him, you have found everything. You, you, you can stop looking. If you found Jesus, there's nothing else to look for. He is the author and perfecter, the beginner of life, the one that sustains it. Everything is because of him and is held together within him. If you found Jesus, you found it all. That's what these guys understood. They found Jesus. We sometimes have found Jesus. Our Jesus is just perhaps a bit smaller than what Jesus really is. We found the one that'll answer our prayers. We found the ones that'll bring healing. We found the ones, and all those things are part of the deal, but that's not the deal. The deal is you find Jesus, the Son of God. When you know that you know, I have found Jesus, everything changes. Everything else comes to a standstill. I have found Jesus. I want to encourage you on what I spoke about last week is do we know God? This comes into that same vein. Have you found Jesus? To find Jesus means to put him in the center of everything. That everything is about him. That's what it means to find Jesus. He's the Savior. He's the Redeemer. He's the Lord. He's the King of Kings. He's everything. That's what it means to find Jesus. Many people seek. And we say we seek Jesus. And in the church, there's been a movement that has been called the seeker movement or seeker sensitive and all about trying to help people find Jesus. And it's good and it's valid. But you know what? You know why it's possible for us to seek Jesus and to find Jesus? It's because he sought us first. He sought us first. More than what any person on this planet can seek Jesus, He seeks us. Is that, is that not true? The scripture is in, where's my, where's my scripture here now? Luke 10, 19 verse 10. Luke 19 verse 10. For the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. You are being sought by Jesus. More than what you will ever seek Him, you are being sought by Him. Every person that is alive on this planet today is living under the searchlight of Jesus, looking to find you, or looking for you to find Him. What an amazing thought. That's what makes our Savior different. And that's the key message we have to bring into this world to the people that ask, where is God? Is to say, He's right here. 
He came and took on the form of a man and walked among us so that we can find him. He gave us the scripture so that we can find him. He gave us the prophetic words and the prophetic utterances to describe him so that we could find him. Finding is not easy to do. One of our favorite pastimes as a family is every year we try and go to the Kruger Park. And we take it very seriously. Since the kids were very small, we play competition in the car. Every animal has a point system. We have a point system and we compete. And there's prizes at the end of it. It's who got the most points because you saw the most animals and variety of animals and everything. And Natasha is not only good at finding things in the home, she's an expert at finding animals in the field. <laughs> so we're all trying to just keep up with her. I've at least had the good sense to arrange it that I'm always in her team. We are one, the Bible says, you cannot come between us. Even our children, they have their place. It's not between us. We are one. So, the, the, we, you know, so we had to learn how to spot animals in the field. Do you know when you want to spot an animal, you don't look for the animal. You won't find it. You look for shapes that are out of place. Then you find them. If you get to know the shapes of animals, you will see them because they're good at hiding, but they're there. They're not trying to hide always. Sometimes they are. But animals find places to stand, and you will not see them unless you recognize their shape often. Like there's a thing called an African big-ear owl. How many of you ever seen an African big-ear owl? They're about this tall from the table. Nice big owl. And an African big-ear owl, you will find them when you go drive through certain parts of the Kruger Park, when you go through a dip where there's a stream and there's, there's an area where the branches or the trees have lots of foliage so there's no light during the day. It's quite dark. If you look up in those trees and you can recognize their shape, their head is quite flat, they've got the two pointy ears and then their body does this down to the bottom. If you can see that shape, you will be amazed to see how many of them you can actually spot. We almost every year we spot African big ear owls because of their shape. Their shape is just not fitting in with the rest. It's unusual. If you want to find God, you have to recognize him by his shape that is different than what you find in this world. You have to look for him. If you come across somebody who is completely completely unselfish, completely invested in you, that loves you, that is prepared to do everything for you, you've probably found God. How many of you know that shape is very unusual in this world? That shape is not common. And that's, if you read the scripture, if you hear, if you train your ear you will start recognizing the shape of God. But have you found Jesus? Not only did Andrew find Jesus, but he did the second thing also really well. He then followed Jesus. It's one thing to find Jesus. It's another thing to follow Jesus. We sang that song this morning, I have decided to follow Jesus. Let's read in Matthew 4 verse 18. And Jesus, walking by the Sea of Galilee, saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and Andrew his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. Then he said to them, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. They immediately left their nets and followed him. You see, because Andrew knew who he found, 
When the invitation came to follow him, it, it wasn't difficult for him. It wasn't like, should I really follow Jesus? You see, if he didn't know who it was that he found, he would have struggled with the decision. But because he knew he found the Messiah, he found everything. There's nothing more important than Jesus. There's nothing better than Jesus. There's nothing that'll, that, that, is, that you can have that is more than what Jesus is. So when the invitation came, when Jesus said, come and follow me, boop, drops the nets. And I don't know how their dad felt about it. Jonah was their father's name. Both his sons drops the nets. He probably went, typical. If I want to get something done, I have to do it myself. They're just looking for some excuse or a way out. I don't know if that's what he felt. But these boys dropped the nets, followed Jesus. Said, every moment, I want to be with you, Jesus. I want to hear everything you say. I want to see everything you do. I don't want to miss anything. I want to follow you, Lord Jesus. We have found Christ. We have found everything. And it requires of us that this response to follow Him, to be with Him. I think of the words that Jesus said in John 6. There was a time in the ministry of Jesus where disciples were turning away from Him and starting to leave Him. Many of His followers were starting to leave Him because He was starting to say some things that were very difficult for them to hear, that was very revolutionary and hard and, and, and challenged them. And so one day in John 6, verse 66 to 69, he turns to his disciples, the 12 that followed him, Andrew being one of them. And from that time, many of his disciples went back and walked with him no more. Then Jesus said to the 12, do you also want to go away? But Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. Also, we have come to believe and then know that you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Basically, Jesus says to them, are you also going to go somewhere else? They say, where else are we going to go? You have the words of life. You are the Christ. There's nowhere else to go. Even if we want to leave you, there's nowhere we can go. We stuck with you. You stuck with us. Because you are the Christ. We can only follow you. If you know what you found in Jesus, you can't turn away from him. There's nowhere else to go. It's like going from haagen ice cream to no-name brand ice cream. There's only one way down. There's, it's down from there. If you've ever had Ben and Jerry's Cherry Garcia ice cream, everything else is just not the same. You can see my sensitivities. The things I sacrifice to the Lord. <laughs> when you found Jesus, the only thing from there is down. And these guys understood it. They said, Lord, where else are we going to go? We can only follow you. Sometimes it's hard to follow Jesus. Everybody else is turning away. Everybody else is saying you're an idiot. Everybody else is telling you all the reasons why this is not a good idea. But if you found Jesus, you've got no other option. You're stuck. There's nowhere else to go. If you know what you found, you have found the best. And when the best is hard, you stay with the best. This is what these guys said. This, we can't go anywhere else. Even though this is going to cost us our lives. We're with you. It's like 
Daniel and his friends in the lions, oh, in the in the fiery uh, furnace. Have you read that scripture? When John Lennox was here, he referred to it, where they said, you know, when they put them before the choice, and they said, look, we'll go through the fire because God will save us. But even if He doesn't, we're still going to stay faithful to Him. Because we found God, where else are we going to go? If it serves God's purposes that we burn to a crisp in the fire, then that's the best thing that must happen. Now, I'm sure they weren't as excited about it as I'm saying it right now. I wouldn't be. But they found God. Andrew found Jesus. And therefore he followed him. He stayed with him. He left his job. Now it doesn't mean, please, I'm not saying leave your job. Please. You don't have to leave your job to follow Jesus. All it means is when you follow Jesus, it's what you're simply saying is everything is about Jesus. My job is about Jesus. So whether I like my job or not is not really the, the issue. It's, is this where God wants me? If this is where God wants me, then this is where I follow him. If I love my job, but Jesus says, this is not where I've called you to be, then I will change it because it's about Jesus. He is my chief consideration in everything. And I know we grow and mature into those things, but we must be followers of Christ. Then the last thing that Andrew did, which was his lasting legacy, not only did he find Jesus, not only did he follow Jesus, but then he shared Jesus. He was remarkable as a person that introduced Jesus to everybody. One of my friends, Dwayne White, he'll be preaching here in August. Many of you know Dwayne. He has a saying. He says, I love it when my friends meet my friends. And Andrew had the same philosophy. Because he knew who he found when he found Jesus, everybody he met, he said, can I introduce you to Jesus? Everybody, all his life, even after Jesus died and went to heaven, he still introduced people to Jesus. Everywhere he went, he introduced people to Jesus. Let me show you three examples of that very quickly. First of all, Andrew introduced Peter to Jesus. We read that just now. He first found his own brother Simon and said to him, We have found the Messiah. Now, Peter eventually became a big deal in the gospel story. But it wouldn't have happened possibly, if Andrew didn't introduce him to Jesus. He was really happy to be this guy, a networker that made the relationships possible, that connected people. Not only did he introduce Peter to Jesus, but do you know that Andrew introduced the little boy with the five loaves and the two fish to Jesus also? That day when they were in a crisis and the crowds were getting a bit rumble, you know, hungry people, hungry men, there's no dangerous, more dangerous thing than a group of hungry men, and these were 5,000 of them. Things were going to turn bad very quickly. In John 6, verse 8 to 11, one of his disciples, Andrew, Simon's brother, said to him, there is a lad here who has five barley loaves and two small fish, but what are they among so many? Then Jesus said, make the people sit down. He at least had the thought in his mind there's a possibility here. I don't know, but there's a possibility. Let me introduce this boy to Jesus. Because what this boy has is nothing. But in the hands of the one who has everything, perhaps this will become something. He knew who he found when he found Jesus. Everything became possible. Andrew also introduced Greeks to Jesus. On a specific day, just as Jesus was coming up to the crucifixion, in John 12, verse 20, 
We read the following. Now there were certain Greeks among those who came to the worship at the feast. They, then they came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida of Galilee, and asked him, saying, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. Now Philip also had a Greek name. So interesting that the Greeks would come to the guy, the disciple, with a Greek name. Sir, we wish to see Jesus. Philip came and told Andrew, and in turn, Andrew and Philip told Jesus. You see, Philip was one of the four that was closest to Jesus in the inner circle. And he had the, the, the sort of the rights to go and ask Jesus. So he goes to Jesus and he says, uh, listen, Jesus, there's these Greek guys. They would just like to spend a little bit of time with you. Is it at all possible? Jesus turns around. The hour has come that the Son of Man should be glorified. Most assuredly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it produces much grain. He who loves his life will lose it, and he who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, let him follow me, and where I am, there my servant will be also. If anyone serves me, him my Father will honor. Now, if I was Philip, Andrew, I would still go, is that a yes or a no? I'm not quite sure what Jesus is saying at this point. All I'm asking is, can these guys, I don't want a whole lecture about dying and, you know, what was Jesus saying? Jesus was basically saying, listen guys, my diary is full at the moment, I can't see you. I'm about to be crucified. But that's the good news for you, because you don't have to wait in line to see me, because as soon as I die and the seed falls into the ground and raises up, I will be able to meet everybody, everywhere, everybody that seeks me will find me, not only those that can have an audience with me. That's actually what he was saying to them. Worship guys, you can join me on stage, Sean. I mean, it's terrible. I know my poor PAs that work with me and people want to come and see me and then they so often have to say, look, it's, it's just not possible or you, if you prepare to wait. This is the same thing. Jesus' diary was full. But at least now we know you don't have to wait and go through a PA to see Jesus. You can speak to him right now. Because he died and rose again. And through the Spirit, he's everywhere. If you found Jesus. And not only does that mean we can have an audience with him whenever we want to. But it means that any person on this earth can speak to Jesus whenever they want to. They sometimes just need an introduction. They sometimes just need an Andrew that will go and say, can I introduce you to Jesus? Can I tell you about this guy and what he's meant in my life? I mean, I've got great friends around me, that people that are so good, and it's so wonderful. I, I'm, Graham Holloway is one of those people. Whenever I'm walking around here with him, he introduces me to everybody because he knows more people than I do here. And he just always, this is Louis, can I tell you? And, it's, and then he tells me about the other person, and I'm so excited to meet that person, and it's wonderful. Andrew just had this ability, and, and church tradition tells us that he eventually went all the way to the Ukraine, into Kiev, and introduced people to Jesus. Eventually, AD 70, 70 years after Christ, he died in the north of Greece. And he refused to have his body put in the same position as Jesus' was. So he was crucified on a cross that looks like this. So today, if you see the flag of Scotland, it's called St. Andrew's Cross. It's to signify the shape of the cross that he died on. That even in his death, he introduced us to Christ. If you and I want to be heroes faithful heroes, heroes of the faith, we need to find Jesus. And once we've found Him, we need to follow Him, stay with Him, be with Him, and then share Him, introduce others to Him. And in that way, we will fulfill the purposes of Christ in our lives. It's as simple as that. Just find Him, 
Just follow Him. And then introduce everybody you can to Him. I mean, if you've met a great friend, if you knew Prince Harry, and you were at the, fu- at the, at the royal cell, the funeral, <clears throat> sorry, that's not a Freudian slip or anything, that's just, if you were at the wedding yesterday, how, would you have been quiet about it? Would you have told everybody about it? Can I tell you, you've met somebody far greater. Don't you want to introduce him to people? Just tell people this is this guy. You don't have to answer all the questions. He'll do it. You just have to say, this is who he is. This is what he means to me. This is what he's done in my life. I'd like you to stand with me this morning. I'm going to give three opportunities for people to respond this morning. We're going to come to an end. First of all, I want to give you an opportunity to find Jesus. If you're here today and you've never found Jesus or allowed Him to find you, if you've never looked up into those big eyes that says, I love you. He's not trying to overpower you. He's not trying to ask you to do anything but allow Him to love you. If you've not yielded to that, then today is an opportunity to say, I want to find Jesus. And one of the ways we can facilitate that is just simply in a church service like this to say, let us pray with you. Let us pray with you. Perhaps we can introduce Jesus to you. So this morning, I want to firstly give opportunity to people to say, I want to find Jesus. If you're here today, if you're listening to this message on YouTube or on the radio, contact us. Get the church's number on our website or on any of our channels. Contact us. Let us pray with you to find Jesus. But if you're in this auditorium today, you can find Jesus right here. Not because we have him, but because he said, I want you to find me. And he's looking for you. So let's just call, close our eyes at this point in time and just say, Lord Jesus, I pray that if there's one person here today that needs to find you or allow you to find them, we want to pray right now for a release for them, for an, for an ability for them to step out in faith and to say, here I am, Lord, and to allow you to do the rest. All they need to do is to say, here I am, Lord. It's just to respond. If you want to respond this morning and find Jesus, just raise your hand right where you are. Just right where you are. Thank you for just any hands that are raised. Thank you. I'm going to give you an opportunity as we continue to pray to come down. Our pastors will be here in the front and they want to introduce you to Jesus. And Just come and let them pray with you. Let them help you with that process. If you need to introduce, be, be introduced to Jesus, just come and let him, let him meet with you today. Secondly, you may have met Jesus. I want to ask you, are you following Jesus? Have you taken that step in your life to say, Lord, everything is about you? everything. Now it's an ongoing process in our life. That's why it's called discipleship. At this point in time, I may think that everything in my life is about Jesus, but tomorrow I discover something and I realize, whoops, that wasn't about Jesus. And then I just say, Lord, I include that in the deal now. I wasn't aware that I excluded that. But that's the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Our attitude should just be, Lord, anything that I know of, I'm going to make it about you, Lord. I want my life to be about you. I want to pray with us quickly. And then I'm going to focus on these people that are coming forward to meet Jesus again. 
If you want to say, Lord, I want to follow you. It's maybe a decision that you have made, but you just want to reconfirm it today. Or you want to say, Lord, I want to make that decision today. Why don't you just raise your hands? I'm not going to ask you to come forward. I just want you to pray with you right now. Just raise your hands and say, Lord, I want to follow you in everything in my life. Lord, I thank you for every person's hands that are raised at this point. Whether it's the first time they decide this or whether it's just a reconfirming. I pray for the working of your spirit upon our lives, that we will be true followers of Christ. That, that we will recognize that we've got nowhere else to go. We have found everything. And that we will press deeper into you, Lord, to find more and more of you. That we will not fall by the wayside. That we will not be like some of those disciples that, that gave up and, and just it became too difficult. That, Lord, when we go through difficulties, may it cause us to push into you more. That we will not run away from you, but that we will run towards you. That when we get disillusioned, that when we face our own sin and our own failures, that will not cause us to, to step away from you, but to come closer to you. To say, Lord, I need more of you. We want to follow you. Lord, we give you every aspect of our lives. Our work lives, our recreational lives, our family lives, our, our private lives, our inner lives. We give it all to you and we say, Lord, I want to follow you in everything, Lord Jesus. And thank you that it's only possible by the grace of the Spirit. And we thank you for that, Holy Spirit. And then lastly, I want to pray for us that we will share Jesus, that we will introduce the people in our lives to Jesus. Lord, I want to pray for all of us today for a boldness, for a recognition that we have found the King of Kings. We have found the greatest thing in the universe. And we cannot keep Him to ourselves. Like, like Andrew, Lord, we will go to the ends of the earth or the ends of our street or the ends of our office or the ends of our family, that we will go wherever you send us, Lord, and we will go and introduce people to Jesus. Not because we know it all or have all the answers and understand everything, but because we know you, Jesus. May you be so real to us, we pray. And we thank you for that moving of your Spirit upon us. Empower us, Holy Spirit, to share Jesus. And we thank you for that. Lord, I thank you for every person that has come forward this morning. And I pray, Lord, as we're praying with them right now, just for the moving of your spirit upon them, just for your grace, that they will know Jesus. Won't you give these people that came forward just a good round of applause, and just an appreciation. Thank you, Jesus.